morning. Good morning. Hopefully everybody's doing well today, this beautiful morning. Um, we have been going through the book of 2 Timothy, so go ahead and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. And I will read the first chapter. And I'll have people uh, pick out some verses or some sections that we've gone over and kind of tell me um, something that we've talked about regarding those. Uh, but I'll go ahead and read the, the whole chapter first. So, 2 Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when, we, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So, somebody remind me of any of these phrases or sections of what we've gone through. I think we're into verse 8 now um, of what we talked about. Anybody, anybody, anybody? A couple of weeks ago, you focused on the verse about the grandmother Lois and the mother Venus and just, you know, how important our roles are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we talked uh, one of the lessons about that and how big of an influence they had in Timothy's life. As Again, his father uh, was not a believer, was a Greek, and um, they were the only Christian influence that he had. And so how that it really uh, carries down to today and how mothers and, and grandmothers have this role to, to have this influence on children. Anything else? Ed? It's like a good bit about what sincere faith is. And mm-hmm. There is, sadly, kind of like a demonic faith that professes to know God but doesn't actually know how we know if we have sincere faith. Yeah, we talked about some of the evidences that you can look for in your life um, to see whether or not you have sincere faith and um, how Paul... Reminds Timothy that he has a sincere faith and has evaluated his life and, and sees that his faith genuinely is sincere as well. Anything else? Are you going, Kathy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we kind of talked about how. 
it would seemingly be tough for Paul to have a clear conscience uh, given his history, but yet he was able to serve God uh, with a clear conscience. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that maybe today if we get there. Um, so yeah, so we're uh, in verse 8 there is where we left off. And we were talking uh, last week. It says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So we're talking about uh, this testimony of the Lord, which is really talking about the gospel um, and the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul is wanting Timothy, or telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of being attached to this, of, of, of being connected to this gospel, because in that day it would have been very shameful um, to have your, your Lord, your King, your Master to have been crucified on, on a cross. So they would have seen that as very shameful. And there would have been reason for uh, Timothy to uh, be ashamed of that message. And so Paul's warning him not to be. And then uh, also there was, again, persecution going on in this day. Another reason why Timothy might have been you know, fearful of being a minister of this testimony about it about the Lord. Um, because if you did proclaim this testimony, uh, you were often persecuted at this time period. And then, um, so then he says, don't be ashamed about the testimony of the Lord, but nor of me, his prisoner. So he says, don't be ashamed of Paul either. And again, we know that Paul was imprisoned when he wrote this uh, epistle to uh, Timothy. This was his second imprisonment in Rome. And uh, it seems that many have become ashamed of Paul, as we read later in the chapter. If you look to the end of the chapter there, it says, verse 15, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And it seems, so, I mean, there's a lot of people that have turned away from him. It seems the reason that they have turned away from him is because he has been in prison now, and they are ashamed of him. Because if you keep reading on the verse, it says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, which seems to imply that these people were ashamed of his chains, uh, but Onesiphorus was not. And so he's telling Timothy, do not be ashamed of my chains either, um, for I'm not imprisoned for some wrongful act that I've done. I'm not imprisoned for a crime I've committed, uh, but I'm imprisoned for the name of Christ. And so he doesn't want Timothy to, uh, like others, uh, leave him, go away from him, and, and uh, abandon him. And I think... Uh, well, it's, it's interesting that he calls himself, too, a prisoner of the Lord. Um, he says, so if you read there, he says, Do not be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So clearly calling himself a prisoner of the Lord. So he's not saying that he's a prisoner of the Romans. He's not a prisoner of, of man. Um, but he's a, a prisoner of the Lord. And he's really saying, I'm here because God has put me here. I'm not here because uh, man has arrested him. Mean, he is, but... There's a greater purpose for why he, he is here. And God could remove Paul from prison at any time if he wanted to. We know what happened in his first imprisonment, the earthquake and the chains are released and the doors open. So God could do that here too if he wanted to. Um, but he has him here for a specific reason. And Paul knows this. If he's a free man, he knows that he's the Lord's free man. If he is imprisoned, he knows that he's the Lord's prisoner. And I think this is just encouraging to... Remind yourself of this that when you, I mean, I don't think any of us have been in prison for our faith, but um, we've gone through trials, tribulations, and to remind ourselves that, that, that there's a purpose in this. This isn't just like a random occurrence that happened, or God like lost sight of things and, and didn't realize, like, oh, whoops, Paul, I didn't mean to let you get in prison. He knows that he's in prison. He purposed for him to be there, uh, though he didn't purpose the evil or the sin um, that left, led him there. Uh, he still has a purpose for Paul being there. So I think that is just an encouragement for us. and there should ever be a time that we are imprisoned for our faith, we can say with Paul that we are prisoners of the Lord. Uh, any comments or questions on any of that before we keep moving? Looking at that, 
don't, nor of me, his prisoner, nor of me, being pastoral epistles, if you are a minister of the Lord, <clears throat> preaching his word faithfully, so many times they're the ones that are under under attack today. Mm -hmm. It's not the ones that are going woke and you know having readings by people that shouldn't even be be up there, you know. And and I think that that, that should point to how we should look at at our pastors and, and ministers. You know, mm -hmm. as long as they're preaching the word, don't be ashamed of it. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um... Yeah, the ones that are tickling everybody's ears and saying what they want to hear are not going to be the ones that are imprisoned, uh, but the ones that are saying the hard truths of the gospel um, are really at the forefront of this. And we're kind of going to talk about that as well as he tells him to share in suffering. Um, it kind of leads us into our next point here. Um, he says, uh, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So when you read something like this in Scripture, uh, what like sect of false teaching does this really do away with? Something, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Oh, well, the yeah, the prosperity gospel I think is uh, really is the exact opposite of what they're promising. Um, Timothy is or Paul is telling Timothy that you can expect to share in suffering and to share in suffering. This idea that you come to Jesus and you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, um, you're just going to be able to live this cozy, comfortable life. Um, this is not what we get from the scriptures. It's not the promises we get. In fact, we get, I mean, we will be blessed. There will be comfort. Not say that uh, God isn't going to help us and give us blessings, um, but we're also promised that uh, we will face persecution and we'll have trials. Um, of course, we have this verse right here that states that. We also have later on in the book, 2 Timothy 3.12, is indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, we have John 15, 20. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And in Mark 8, 34, 35, again, Jesus talking and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So we will you have to be willing to, to lose your life for following the Lord, potentially, or to endure hardships or to suffer um, on account of the gospel. So this is what we are promised. So this is what we can expect when we stand firm for the gospel. And this is what, again, Paul is telling Timothy to expect. And kind of as Chris alluded to, as, as a minister, he's kind of at the forefront of this. Um, everybody can expect this to some degree. But when you're the one proclaiming this you know, from the pulpit or um, out in the world as the leader of this sect or this religion group, you know, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to persecute first. And so Paul wants to warn Timothy to expect that and to share in that suffering as Paul is sharing in it and as Jesus Christ suffered in this way. And so then he adds to do this uh, by the power of God. And just another reminder of how uh, any of us endure these sufferings or hardships is is by the power of God. It's not by your own strength or your own you know wisdom or might that you muster up to get through certain things, but it's by reliance on God, the Word of God, knowing who God is, uh, trusting in His faithfulness, storing up the Word of God in your mind and in your heart so that you can um, persevere through these um, difficult things. So any comments on uh, sharing and suffering and how that's expected. In light of Reformation Sunday, 
he's talking about the gospel. So there's Sola Scriptura. And as we go through this, you see right here in, in the, I'm seeing all the solas fitting into the mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot in, in Second Timothy. There's a lot of deep doctrine there. But uh, yeah, and then that's a perfect example of somebody suffering for the faith, uh, suffering for the true gospel. Um, and standing up against the false gospel that was being proclaimed in that day by the Roman Catholic Church, and um, many were burned at the stake for for doing that. So that's um, kind of what comes along with it, you know. Given that we live in a pretty blessed area of the world, a pretty best time period, that that's not happening right now. Um, but there are still um, ways in which we will suffer for for the gospel. And did you have something you want to say? Yeah, uh, I think uh, when you read uh, the Gospels, Christ says that. Come up to me in all that labor and a heavy living, I'll give you rest. Mm -hmm. And then he has that my yoke <laughs> yeah. is easy and my burden is light. Mm -hmm. Well, he compares a life outside of Christ and a life in Christ. A life in Christ has his yoke, but it's a better, <laughs> far, far better yoke than, you know. But I think sometimes we get it wrong, especially when we preach the gospel to people, we give the impression that, oh, Christianity is just about Christ speaking to your situation, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So we don't talk about the local church, your contribution to the local church, and your ministry, something, find something to do, and things like that. You know, we just give people the hope that oh, once you believe, God, your marriage will be fine, your children will do well, prosper, mm -hmm. and things like that, without telling them that the call to Christ involves. You know, service, stewardship, the money, your resources, and everything, things mm -hmm. like that. But I think we need to really, Jesus was a master who people will come to him and they say, Forces are close, best of the year have met, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. And this was somebody telling him, I'll, I'll follow you. You know, mm -hmm. Christ gives him, this will follow me, and this is what you will face. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to make that? Mm -hmm. So, in John 6, we are told that not many people walk with him afterwards. And then he asked the disciples, would you also go away? So I mm -hmm. think that we need to put these things in proper perspective. And Paul makes it very, very clear. Yeah, yeah, there's more than just, like I say, he will give you this blessing. He will give you this easy yoke. Um, um, but yet there is, again, suffering and, and, and difficult things that come along with that, the service to him. There's more than just coming to him to get whatever you want and to fulfill all your needs. That's what a lot of people think it is. And so they come to him for that. And then once things get difficult and they realize, wait, wait a minute, it's not, he's not giving me everything that I was promised. He was given, I mean, he is giving everything he promised, but I was promised health, wealth, prosperity, and that's not happening. And so then they abandon um, because they weren't informed correctly. Anybody else had something? Yeah. Thinking about that idea of suffering by the power of God, uh, something I've noticed, I, I read a lot of missionary biographies, and one of the things they often stress is that like, when they're, they're at that point of like intense suffering, that's when God gives them the grace that they need. You know, if you think like, you know, 10 years down the road, I couldn't imagine getting thrown in prison, or I could, you know, maybe right now I can't imagine that, but I've got to kind of walk by faith and not by sight that when these temptations come, God will give me the grace that I need to process them. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that does seem a little bit like okay, I gotta like really walk by faith. You know, like you know, I, yes, I know the suffering is coming, but somehow God, you know, when that moment comes when I need to confess Christ, God's grace will be sufficient to enable me to do that, even though I couldn't imagine doing that right now. Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, if you are a believer, God is going to give you this help um, to some degree or another. He's not going to let you fall away. That's what I mean. He talks about that no one can 
take pluck you out of his hand and all that. I mean, that's the rest that we have in in um, in God, in Christ, is to understand that and know that even though, yeah, some of these situations, if we were to ever put, be put in them, would be pretty daunting. And you kind of question, you know, would I actually be faithful in that situation? Uh, we know that God is going to provide you with that help. And we can trust that. Um, anybody else have anything they want to say? So we'll move on to verse 9. Um, so it says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So this is a massive verse. Uh, there's a lot done back here. I mean, we could spend many weeks on this. I'll try not to make it too long because we've already gone at a very slow pace. But um, really, in Paul's letters to Timothy, he's just constantly reminding him um, of why he shouldn't be ashamed, of why he needs to be bold, and why he doesn't need to be afraid of things. And, and this is really just another reason he's reminding of who his God is that he serves, who the God is that is giving him this power, that is sustaining him. And he says, this is the God that saved you. And called you to a holy calling, because not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And he goes on to say, this is the one who abolished death and brought to life through the gospel. And so this is the God who is giving you this power. And if he has the power to save you and call you from death to life and to work this you know, miraculous, tremendous miracle in your life, then he certainly has the power to sustain you and preserve you and help you to endure all these things. He's not just going to save you and work this great miracle in your life and then just leave you to be and, and not give you any help from that point forward. He is going to, just like he saved you with this miraculous power, give you this strength to preserve, kind of as Pastor Tim was talking about there. Um, so who saved us, this of course is referring to God saving us unto eternal salvation, uh, saving us from the wrath we deserve and giving us eternal life. Um, and let me first point out that Here's another reason why we should share in suffering and endure suffering is because we have been given the greatest gift that anybody could ever be given, and it's entirely by the grace of God. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you've merited it or worked for it. And if it was because of that, I think we kind of would have a legitimate complaint with God. You know, if, if I was so faithful that I've earned my salvation from you, God, then why am I going through this? I, I did what I was supposed to do. Why are you putting me through this difficult situation? But when we recognize it was entirely by the grace of God. I did everything not to deserve it, yet God was gracious to me anyway. Uh, then we can say, well, I not only deserve this, but I deserve much worse than this. And so you can um, really be willing to endure anything because we know that you know what awaits us and that you know, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be pain nor crying anymore for the former things have passed away. And this is what we were promised. And so we can, we can rest on that as we endure these trials. Any other comments or questions before we keep going? So he's who saved us and called us to a holy calling. So again, God did not just merely save us and uh, leave it at that. If this was the case, then we would just immediately go to heaven upon receiving salvation. Uh, but there is a purpose for God leaving us here on earth after we have been saved. And that purpose is for one, to go and tell others so that they too might be saved. Um, uh, but it is also so that we might bring glory to God through our lives, through our obedience, through our praise and worship, through our commitment and dedication to Him. And this is the purpose for you as a Christian. It is to pursue holiness, really. It's not just to receive salvation, sit back and, and 
enjoy life now. I mean, it is to is this pursuit of holiness. This is what we're called to. And I think something something some people lose track of. I think like when you are so strenuous or straining that it's gospel by grace and not of works, then you tend to kind of like shy away from preaching that you are to live holy and and you know seek to do good works. Um, but yet we are still called um, to live this holy life. And so uh, let me just quickly give you a number of commands from Scripture that are given to the Christian, given to the one who has been called. And that is what it's talking about here. Um, we are commanded to abstain from the passions of the flesh, to put to death the deeds of the body, to make no provision for the flesh. We are commanded to flee immorality. We are commanded to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. And in Leviticus, uh, the Lord says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. He's talking to the people of Israel there. He's saying that you, since I have pulled you out of the world and separated you, you need to be holy now, as I am holy. And that still stands true for us today. We have been pulled out of the world and are now um, in the God's children, I guess, if you will. And so now he calls us to holiness. Um, and so this is an important thing to understand. And um, so how do we go about fulfilling this calling? What are, what are ways that, that you go about living this life of holiness? Prayer. Prayer. Saying the word, yeah. Yeah, those are certainly good answers. Anybody else? See that sometimes, I mean, we read scripture all right, but we are spending time on TV, on social media, on movies, and getting involved in all kinds of secular activities. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that some way, somehow, these things are having our souls. Mm -hmm. you know? So we need to be aware of the culture and how it's it's not it's not a passive culture. It's mm -hmm. very subtle. It's I mean, previously, if you wanted to, you know, see certain things, you have to go into certain areas and things. Now it's more like that. Mm -hmm. You sit in your bedroom, but the culture is chasing you there. 
and you need to be aware and have that alertness in your mind. So, whatever you are spending time on, especially during your leisure, I believe that's where I'm, I'm guilty. That's my leisure, what you do mm -hmm. with your leisure. Yeah. That's one of the areas where your holiness is attacked. And mm -hmm. I think we need to be aware of some of these subtle you know, manifestations of the culture. Yeah, I think that that's a huge thing to be aware of and understand that even if it's like not like a directly sinful thing, it, it can still have an impact on you and start to influence you and just bring you out of the Word of God and into worldliness. I mean, I think like I like sports, so I watch a lot of sports. But if I'm just going to sit there and all day watch sports, um, then my mind's just not going to be on this. It's going to be on sports. It's going to be on worldly things. And it's just going to lead you down a path of just being more susceptible to, to worldly actions and things like that. And there's there's many other areas that that can take place. And example is movies or what you consume on TV. Again, it might not be like this horribly raunchy TV show that is obviously sinful. It might be something that's, you know, it just kind of has some bad things in it here and there. And it just slowly, you know, pulls you more and more into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere in there, they just position the thing. If you see it on the poster, you wouldn't watch. Right. You hide it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Anything else? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I think sometimes it's related to also the gifts and talents we're given. I know that uh, Patrick Evans mentioned before that he kind of said, hey, you know, good at teaching. And, you know, that's maybe something I should be calling. You know, others of us definitely don't have that skill set. and uh, But we do have other skill sets. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we take an inventory of what. God has given us as the skill now. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I've been given that the skill set. I think this is what he's called me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit of that before too. Fanning into flame your gifts and, and whatnot. Uh, certainly, uh, a calling that you have is that you need to fulfill. Right, again, yeah, I think also I think a key motivator in holy living is understanding. I think the nature of our salvation. <coughs> Kind of what Paul, I think, is pointing out here, too, you know, after he says, when he saved us and called us to a holy calling, he's talking about you know, that effectual call mm -hmm. in our lives that leads to regeneration, justification, sanctification, moving our glorification. And then he says, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Mm -hmm. So, looking at our salvation and the eternal purposes of God, mm -hmm. uh, and then what it results in, he goes on, he says, our Savior will abolish death, brought about life and mortality, the light of the gospel. I think all of that, reflecting on the nature of our salvation, that it's rooted in the eternal purposes of God, is, mm -hmm. is just a key motivator, I think, mm -hmm. for holiness. Yeah, yeah, and understanding it's entirely, again, by the grace of God, not by something that, that you've earned or worked for. Um, but God was simply just gracious to you and called you from before the ages began to this life. And, and that, that, that does definitely give you a motivation to want to honor him, want to obey him. Um, another, where am I on my notes here? Um, I don't know where I am. Oh, I believe that something uh, that is vitally important to, to living this holy life is, is really winning the battle on the inside and being obedient to your conscience. And that's kind of what we talked about. Uh, we brought that up earlier about uh, obeying your conscience. And, and God has placed within every person, you know, believer or unbeliever, um, a conscience. 
and uh, it's part of being what it or part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And what pain is to your physical body is really what the conscience is to your spiritual soul. Uh, pain is there to protect you so that you don't keep on doing this harmful thing to your body or so that you know that something's wrong with your body. Um, this is really the same function that the conscience has for your soul. It is there to try to steer you away from doing this thing that might be harmful to you or to warn you that if you keep doing this thing, there's going to be severe consequences for it or you might end up destroying your life if you continue to go down this path. And so that's really what the conscience is there for. And it's important to note that the conscience of a believer is different from the conscience of an unbeliever. Why, why is the conscience of a believer different than an unbeliever? Because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, yeah. And again, Pastor Tim's been doing a, a great study on the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And one of those roles is to convict you and to you know, really lead your conscience so that you can do what is right. Um, and that is the difference between, like I said, everybody has a conscience, believers and unbelievers, but the believers one is led by the Holy Spirit so they can uh, abide by the word of God, whereas the unbeliever does not have that working in their life. And so the conscience in a way is, is, a way, is what helps lead you to the light. Uh, it is not, however, the source of light. Uh, it can really only act as, as like a filter uh, by letting in whatever you're putting into it. So you can think of it like, like blinds on a window. If it's, if it's dark out, if it's night out, the blinds are only going to let in darkness or, or nothing. Uh, but if it's daytime, then the blinds can let in light. And so they, they don't produce the light, but they let in whatever is going through them. And so uh, the source of light is, is what? As you guys should know, hopefully. The Word of God. Yes, the Bible. That's the source of light. And so uh, in the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Word of God to you. And so the more time you spend in the Word of God, the more light you are filtering in through your conscience. And again, so you can be somebody who goes to church. Um, and so, I mean, going back to the blind analogy, when you have the blinds closed uh, during the daytime, there's still light coming through. Uh, there's still a little bit of light getting in. But if like all you're going to do is just go to church and really do nothing else, never read the word, never pray, never be in fellowship with other believers, apart from just like going to church or something, uh, then you're really only letting that little bit of light in um, that can help direct your conscience. But the more you study the Word of God, the more you uh, constantly just absorb the Scriptures and, and try to understand what is in them, the more you're really opening those blinds and, and more light is going coming in through your conscience to lead you so that when th different things come up throughout the day, you say, no, I can't do that because I know what the Word of God says here. Or no, I, I have a conviction that this is not right for me to go here because this is what the Word of God says, right? So but if you don't know the Word of God, uh, then that's not going to be happening. So uh, I think this is what allows us to live out this holy calling, uh, but it's not enough just to have your conscience uh, be directed by the Word of God. You actually have to listen to your conscience, which is not the easiest thing to do. I'm sure you guys uh, can relate to that. I mean, you know what is right to do, but yet you don't always do it. And I think this is one of the differences really between like knowledge and wisdom. I think knowledge is you, knowledge you can know what the right thing is to do, uh, but wisdom would be not only to know what the right thing is to do, but to actually do that right thing um, because you know that even though your flesh so desires this sinful thing uh, or this thing that you know the world tells you is perfectly normal, perfectly okay, everybody does it, there's no reason to worry about it, maybe even it's good for you to do, um, but yet your conscience tells you, the Word of God tells you, wisdom tells you uh, that you need to flee from this thing. And so you have to be able to listen to your conscience and obey your conscience. That is directed by the Word of God. 
in order to live out this holy calling. So, any comments, questions on any of that before we move on? Good. I think that's a great demonstration of what blind mm-hmm. I mean, we should just, we should be opening up our blinds as much as we can, yeah. as much light in yeah. as much as we can. Maybe even step outside, you know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just get rid of the blinds, yeah. And what that look like, right? We use God's word. Right. We beat our body into subjection. And all believers can do this. We were commanded to walk by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. We fellowship with one another. We do all the things that God wants us to do. So, I mean, that's a really good illustration. Yeah, I mean, and again, understanding that the Word of God is, is the light that is coming through those blinds. And so if we want more light in your life, you have to read the Word of God. Not, not You're not just doing it to check off a check off the list or do it because your pastor tells you to, but you're doing it because you understand this is what's going to direct me to live a life of holiness. Anything else? Go ahead. One other thought on this on uh, holiness. I've discovered that it's like really important to like break and define what holiness is. Um, it, it, it doesn't seem to be as common as much now, but when I was a kid, some of us were raised in this context where holiness was defined in kind of a superficial like I don't use playing cards, I don't go to the movie theater, I don't you know, those sorts of things. Um, now I'm not, you know, you know, if you want to play cards, that's totally fine. But it's kind of like a, a, a separate issue. Um, but again, that was very common when I was a kid. It's sort of like, you know, for lack of a better word, like legalistic, superficial definition of holiness. Whereas something more like the fruit of the spirit is really what we mean when we talk about holiness. So if you hear holiness and you think this like, you know, Amish person or, uh, you know, the German Baptist or something like that, uh, you know, go back to scripture and see what scripture has to teach about holiness. Because it is, it's more things like love, joy, peace, patience, so forth, that Avoiding playing cards. Yeah, yeah. But that can really confuse a lot of people because even in this entire discussion, they might be thinking, "Okay, do I need to like you know start uh, you know becoming Amish or something like that?" When in reality, we're talking about something a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point to point out exactly what holiness is. Again, that's laid out in Scripture, like you said, the fruit of spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the kinds of things that um, that lead to holy. Are these? This is what holiness is. And so these are things we should aspire to live by and not, and like you said, becoming Amish or something like that. <laughs> but, um, okay, so we'll keep moving. Um, so he's called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And so this is really the foundation of the gospel, um, that we are saved, again, apart from our works or our good deeds, and then saved entirely by the grace of God. Uh, can anyone think of some verses that speak to this? Being saved by grace and not by works. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Which is Titus 3 5, yeah. 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 Anybody else? I'll read. I have both of those down um, to go over. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, so that puts it pretty clearly. Galatians 2, 16 is another one that says it about three times. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Romans 11, 5, 6 also says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, that is, a, a people that God has chosen by His grace, 
But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So if you're going to include any bit of works in your salvation, even in your intelligence or wisdom or humbleness to believe the gospel, uh, then it's no longer based upon grace because grace is not, works are not required for grace. Grace is given to somebody that doesn't deserve it. Titus 3.5 is as Bennett mentioned, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, again, the scriptures are seemingly pretty clear on this issue, yet there are a lot of people and religions that believe that you are either saved entirely by your works or saved at least partially by your works. And so why do you think that is? Why do you think people are so drawn to a works-based system or works-based salvation? I think that, and it's kind of just naturally how things are is, is like you work to get something. I mean, sometimes you're given things, but like if you're wanting to make a lot of money, you need to work at that to, to get that money. Or if you want to be really good at a certain thing, practice or whatever, playing an instrument, you have to work really hard to get good at that. Uh, it's not just given to you. So I think kind of like you're saying there, this is just like instilled in people um, that we're, we're to continue to work and work. And if we're going to receive something as great as salvation, surely we have to work for this and earn this from God. He's not just going to give this to us. Thankfully, that's not the case. Anybody else have reasons? Well, I think Christianity is such a revolutionary idea at, at the time and now. That's why Paul had to drill into it. It's, it's by faith. It's not by works. By mm -hmm. faith, not by works. Mm -hmm. And still today, we have to be reminded that because I think the natural tendency in all world religions and everything, we have to do something. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, and and Paul Paul just had to drill it into our heads. Over yeah, he said it many many times. Go ahead, David. I mean, even since Paul, I think it's in our nature most of the time. You know, we'll, we'll be like God if we do something mm -hmm. like group. So I think it's just in our very nature. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to battle that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think also I think there's sort of a cultural political kind of influence um, you know I think it was easier for people like Calvin and Luther to get what the Bible said because they knew what it would be like to be under a king be under a sovereign whereas you know living in a democratic society for example I mean it's all about you know freedom and free will and you know this sort of you know you got to strap yourself up by your bootstraps you know. mm -hmm. so I think I think there's a cultural sort of political element that I think influences people to resist what the Bible says about God's sovereignty and God's grace. Mm -hmm. And I think it might have been a little bit easier for people like Calvin to kind of see what the Bible said because they, they didn't have that sort of mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little more foreign to us now to think of having a king or ruler that's sovereign over things. Go ahead. <laughs> always want to build ourselves up and have something good in us. Mm -hmm. And we come to Christ, we have to 
release everything and say, no, you know, I'm destined to hell for good reason. <laughs> and it's only by the grace of God. Yeah. Only by His grace we have this salvation. So it takes away all the boasting mm -hmm. and focus you on Him as the one that's all sufficient. Yeah. Yeah, I think the pride issue is, is a big one. I mean, that you want to have something to say, you know, I did this, I accomplished this, and that's why I'm saved. And there's no room for that within the gospel, at least that the Bible teaches. Were there any other hands that wanted to say something? Um, another reason I think some people believe this way, and it might be well-intentioned, and I think that that is, and I kind of mentioned this early, that if you say that you're saved entirely by grace, then this eliminates your need to do good works. Uh, and basically gives you a license to sin. Have you ever heard anybody, you know, tell you if you have a conversation with somebody about this, well, you believe you're saved by grace, you can just go do whatever you want. Well, that's not what I believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. Um, and I think uh, Romans 6 draws that out well. So we're running a little low on time, but go ahead and turn there, and we'll read this. So Paul really answers this exact objection in Romans chapter 6. And we'll start in verse 12. The whole chapter is good, but for the sake of time, we'll start in verse 12. Uh, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been uh, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And then Paul brings up this question as I'm sure, I'm sure it was an objection that he had received as he's teaching this, this stuff to people and something that he anticipates the reader might have. He says, what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace, that we're not under you know salvation that comes through obedience to the law, but we're under salvation that comes by grace. So he says, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And then he answers with an emphatic no and says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, with, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and have, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and a lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, Paul is he's answering this objection now just because you're saved by grace does not mean you continue on in sin you're not you're no longer slaves of sin you're now become slaves of, of righteousness and this is what will take place in your life upon receiving salvation as a desire to obey his word and and to again live this life of holiness like we talked about so any comments questions before we close up go ahead what yeah, uh, Mark Lloyd Jones commentary on Romans uh, makes this observation in verse 15 that I always thought was really thoughtful. He says, you know, people don't ask this question of us when we're preaching the gospel, we're not preaching grace clear enough. You know, if after, say, I preach you know, the pulpit or you in explaining the gospel to the commentator or something, if people don't say, are we then to sin because we're not under law but under grace, right. you know, if they're not 
asking that, we probably aren't communicating grace clear enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that thought's convicted me because it's only occasional that people ask that of me. I think I need to be rather clear and emphasizing how much works are not part of how we. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point there. Yeah, because I mean, it's kind of the natural tendency is to think, well, if it's just all by God's grace, then again, I can go do whatever I want. Um, but of course, that's not what the Bible teaches. Anything else before we close up? There are two things here that Paul says that are kind of noteworthy to that question. And Paul talks about, he says, that you have to come obedient from the heart. And then he on down, he says, uh, of the things for which you are now ashamed. Mm-hmm. You know, when a, when the gospel changes a person, they're changed from the inside, right? Mm-hmm. They have new hearts, new desires. They become now ashamed of certain things that they were before. And so the person now wants to obey, mm-hmm. right? And, and desires to obey. Uh, granted, there's a struggle. There's still tendencies from the old life. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's new desires. There's mm-hmm. new uh, intentions or heart that, that they desire now to obey and and Paul here, I think, again, he's just sort of emphasizing that you have a new master. You know, you, mm-hmm. you now um, start to live according to how, how you desire to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is, again, this is what happens in everybody's life as a believer. Again, there's varying degrees in certain Christians, but um, you will now have a desire to please God, not because you're trying to earn your, your righteousness, but because you want to be obedient to the one who saved you from death and brought you to life. So. Yeah, that's a good point there. Emmanuel, go ahead. I would just say, I don't know what you mean by grace, but this is my opinion on grace. God's grace does not mean that you're righteous, or you're a sinner. What's that? Can you say that again? God's grace does not mean that you're righteous, or you're a sinner. Okay, I can. leave you in the state of Adam and Eve before they sin. What? It gives you the choice of where to go now. Once you're not free, it is you now to decide where to go to God. How to go back to sin when you were free? You go back to prison. So it leaves you in that state whereby you have to decide where to go to. And if you are really a good person, wise person, you would thank the person who free you from sin, right? Yeah, I would think so, yeah. You would thank them? Yeah, you would thank them. Mm-hmm. And who, 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 who did that? Yeah, right? Correct, yeah. So you, you join them and thank them. Mm-hmm. But you are that person who is unconscious and who loves sin. You go back to sin. Yeah. So. I don't know whether you understand it that way, but that grace that gives you a position of choosing. Of a free will, like give you a free will to choose, like the way Adam and Eve were in God of Eden, that's the same way grace does to you. Before they sin. I don't know whether you understand me. Uh, I maybe don't, but I mean, I think that yeah, you're saved by the grace of God, and so therefore you want to honor God and give Him praise for that. Um, I guess I, th- I think like the the, human, the natural tendency of the human will is to sin and go away from God, and so he, when he you have a choice to honor him or believe him, but those who he saves are always going to honor him. Does that make sense? I don't know. I mean, kind of a deep discussion. I probably can't speak to it well, and we're out of time. So um, 
you can talk to me later if you have more to say. But I'll, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for this um, time of study. Again, thank you for everybody who's come out and, and made comments and um, helped us to look at your word and, and try to understand uh, what's there in it, Lord. And I just pray that you continue to give us understanding, help us to pursue this life of holiness and uh, to obey our conscience, Lord, and that we would have our conscience informed by your word. I pray now that you would just be with uh, this uh, sermon here with Pastor Tim, give him wisdom and strength to be able to teach clearly and communicate the gospel to us, Lord, and that we'd be encouraged and convicted where we need to be, Lord. Be with everybody else in Children's Church and the nursery as well, Lord, and I pray that you would be glorified in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.